So I did a retreat in the States over the summer and uh, I was flying back with a priest friend of mine and we were in the airport in um, Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, it was great. It was, it was, we were ready to embark and then this uh, wonderful American person uh, came on over the intercom just to announce that uh, you're all very welcome to Atlanta flight da, 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 and uh, Delta flight, whatever it was. And, um, but just to announce that there will be no Wi-Fi on board on this flight. Okay. And there was a passenger, then there's about three people in front of us. And as soon as he heard there would be no Wi-Fi on the flight, he kicked up a little snowflake tantrum. He must have been in his mid-twenties. My goodness, my gosh, no Wi-Fi. It's totally unacceptable. My goodness. And he was like, really irate-like. He was really annoyed. Now, keep in mind, all the movies still work. You can still watch eight hours of movies, right, uninterrupted, from the time you get on the flight to the time you land. Just, there's no Wi-Fi. Download what you need on your phone. Do your little snowflake thing and get on board. Um, but yeah, just so irate, like so could not accept that we will have no Wi-Fi. It's interesting how the more kind of comfortable we get, the more uh, luxuries we have, the more we expect them. And the more delicate we become, the more kind of susceptible we become to all sorts of disappointment if any of these little comforts are taken from us. In the 16th and 17th centuries, uh, missionaries who went to, as a modern-day Canada, modern-day America, uh, the, ba- the boundaries hadn't been uh, established uh, at that point, but those who went over there as missionaries knew that what awaited them was definitely discomfort and possibly death. And so the Jesuits, when they were in training, this is what they were preparing for. Even in the English college, I mentioned this before as well, there was, um, there's a, a book, an admissions book in the English college uh, in Rome where the English seminarians would go and the, this admissions book is called the, the Liber Ruba, which is, means the Red Book. And it was called the Red Book because I think 44 of the first seminarians uh, who put their names down came back to England and were martyred. They were killed. Like, so, and even in the, in the English college, there are all sorts of images up on the walls uh, around the college of various seminarians, priests, or religious being hung or drawn or quartered or all three. Uh, so like, a lot of these, these there, were, there were historic periods, same with missionaries going to Asia. There were a lot of periods in history where being a missionary was definitely going to cause you discomfort and might have cost you your very life. So these missionaries that we're talking about today, uh, Jean de Brebeuf and Isaac Choke, they are absolutely phenomenal. They are just, when you read their stories, you'd be like, is someone making this up? Because it doesn't even seem humanly possible to go through what they did. Uh, There's one particular fact I'll get to in a minute. So when they went over, okay, you're going to a completely new culture where you don't speak the language. Uh, Canada... I mean, wonderful country and all, in the summer, winters are quite harsh, and with no indoor plumbing, uh, so they would have lived in um, large tents. Uh, but in order to keep warm, you had to light the fire in the tent. So like, when, there's no, him, no chimneys and no radiators. 
So the fire is in the tent with a hole in the top, otherwise everyone dies of asphyxiation. So even though it's the winter, you still have a hole in your tent, but you have to light the fire. Basically, the place stank of smoke constantly. So you constantly had that just stench of smoke, but if you didn't, you died of cold. So you choose. Either you stink or you die. Some of you might choose, I'd rather die. But, but, but um, for them, they decided to, to, to put up with the stench. Okay, but then there, there were also some... They're only small things, like obviously you're constantly hunting for food. Um, crops may or may not succeed depending on the weather. Uh, then there was also the, the just unfortunate reality of the fact that we Europeans, when we, when we went over there, we brought all sorts of diseases that we had become more or less immune to that wouldn't have affected us as badly, but which had terrible effects on the indigenous people. Uh, over in, let's say, modern-day Canada and America. Uh, so smallpox and things like that, things that we had grown more or less immune to. We'd catch it, but it, w it wouldn't do uh, as much damage to us, but it, w it annihilated the people over there, so like 50% of a village could pass away uh, through to, due, due to smallpox or, or these kind of diseases. So then they blamed the white people. They were actually right. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it wasn't intentional. But um, So because of that, it made it quite easy for the local people to say, you white people, you're, you're cursed, or your presence is a, a curse to our people, so the solution is to kill you. you know, so again, people start getting sick, and the whole village would turn on you. And you're, you're, you're trying to minister to them, you're trying to baptize them, you're trying to bring them back to the faith, trying to bring them to the faith, bring them to the Lord, and now the whole village turns on you, like, I didn't, I didn't do it, it wasn't me. Like, but how do you convince them? I mean, you, and maybe even you're struggling with their language to try and convince, to try and speak accurately and describe accurately what you mean or what you're trying to say. And not only that, but they didn't actually know the reason. They didn't know that they were carrying these diseases that were, that were causing problems, but that's beside the point. Okay. Isaac Jog and, and Jean de Bebeuf, they go over to, to the uh, Huron tribe and they're missioning uh, with, the, with the Hurons there. And things are relatively good. Uh, they learn the languages or the language of the local people. They bring obviously a bit of technology as well, a bit of know-how from, from Europe. Uh, things start to go well, but there was always a danger, you know, that, that these, like these foreign ideas, these foreigners are coming to, 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 to steal our wealth, they're coming to take our land, because, I mean, there was the French and the English fighting over, over Canada as well. So... It uh, wasn't always, you know, you're, you're trying to, these indigenous people are trying to decipher who are the good white people, who are the bad white people. Maybe all white people are bad. Um, so it's risky. When you're an unarmed missionary, you come with your cross. And it could cost you your life. So the Hurons that they were missioning to, their arch enemies were the Iroquois. Iroquois were not only fierce, they were barbaric. They were very, very dangerous, uh, and they took no prisoners. Uh, they were renowned for their, for their violence. Another kind of moral issue with the Hurons, and I believe the Iroquois as well, is that they believed that, they believed that whatever you dreamt were, these were the, 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 the spirits of the afterlife speaking to you. So your dreams, your dreams were very much uh, prophetic, which, Okay, that sounds like neutral enough, but the problem was your average 
uh, 18, 19, 20, 25 year old uh, young uh, Huron or Iroquois brave who dreams all sorts of immodest and immoral things with various girls and he'd wake up and say well I've just dreamt this so this has to happen off we go you know so it led to all sorts of you know moral degradation and that sort of thing as well so these were just some huge challenges that the missionaries had so the the Hurons accepted Jean de Brebeuf and Isaac Jogues and uh, things were going relatively well but the Iroquois were a constant threat and on more than one occasion they would raid the Huron village take their crops, take their, their meat whatever they had hunted and maybe even take some of their of their people and on one occasion uh, Isaac Jogues was taken prisoner by the Iroquois they tortured them in, in absolutely unimaginable ways where uh, mocking this whole Christian baptism thing they took a pot of boiling water and just poured it over his head uh, his, all of his hair was torn out his beard was torn out his fingernails were torn out his fingers were eaten back to the bone his thumbs were cut off uh, axe heads were put into the fire and then put in an axe nec- necklace around his body to burn him he was tied hand and foot on a kind of a cross and laid down. Little children would come over and take coals from the fire and drop them on his body and just watch them sizzle. Uh, horrendous, horrendous uh, tortures. Uh, this went on for a year. A year. The, some of the local traders um, trying to free him had asked that they not kill him. Now, uh, again, kind of like with the many of the, the, the tortures of different nations um, killing someone might have actually been an act of mercy uh, but this was a very drawn out torturous experience for him so after which he was completely emaciated completely just within an inch of his life uh, inadequate clothing for the, for the Canadian winter uh, and inadequate food of course not to mention all the various beatings and um, yeah, suffering from lack of fingers and thumbs and that. So after he was freed, after a year, he was brought back to Europe. So he sailed back to Europe, went to the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits there, uh, to recover. He was unrecognizable when he came back to Europe. Absolutely unrecognizable. So he stayed for, if I remember correctly, something in or around six months and then requested to go back to Canada and they had a number of issues they said well firstly is your health up for it he actually had TB he had tuberculosis uh, which, he, which was discovered uh, as a seminarian which should have killed him but didn't so how he managed to survive such cold winters with TB anyway I have no idea uh, but he requested then to go back to Canada to the same people or to the Hurons who he loved but who were still in danger of, of, of the Iroquois uh, but there were a couple of questions, and this, this might sound a bit petty, but at the time it wasn't sure if he could actually celebrate Mass, because without, did he have enough fingers and thumbs to hold the host? I mean, it might sound like a petty liturgical thing, but it, it was a condition that in order to be able to celebrate Mass, you have to be able to lift up the host and things, and he was missing a few fingers and thumbs. And, so he was able to manage it, he was given permission, and he was sent back. Uh, Jean de Bebeuf, 
another French guy who's actually born in Normandy. I can't remember the name of the place, but uh, it's, where was he born? But um, yeah, in Normandy anyway. Oh, here we go. Condé sur Vire. Condé sur Vire in Normandy, which is not too far from Edith. Uh, that's where he was born. Uh, he was a big guy for his day as well, so he was quite quite tall. Uh, so the uh, Huron and Iroquois were just impressed by his physical size. I don't, I don't know how tall he was, but he was big for the day anyway. Um, again, just incredible love for his people, incredible faith, and incredible steadfastness in suffering. So as he was being, as he was after being captured by the Iroquois, similarly to uh, Jean to Isaac Jogues, uh, he was burned and boiled and again just general beatings floggings brought from village to village so that each village could have their fun with him uh, and finally killed but he was so focused on the Lord obviously he felt the physical pain but he was so uh, how should I say I don't know, it's like he was having a, almost another worldly experience. He was able to focus so much on the Lord and on, on, on his love for his people that he never screamed or never called out in pain. And the Iroquois were so impressed by this that they bled him dry. They wanted to drink his blood in order to uh, assume his power, his strength. They also ate his heart after he died uh, to, again, try and acquire some of his, of his, of his strength. And they endured all of this for love of the Lord, and they knew this kind of thing was on, like this, this, this was a, you know, if you're in Europe, we can send you to, well, we can send you to Paris. You will have three meals a day, fresh baguette every day, a little wine in the evening, or we can send you to Canada, where you could be eaten. You choose. And they requested like, to go to these places. It's just the faith they had. And, and the love for souls. The love for people who they didn't even know yet. Do you know, this love, this fatherly heart. That I love these people even though they could kill me. My goodness. Like, what faith. What incredible courage. The love of Christ urges us on. The love of Christ urges us on. What a, what a, what a beautiful... Uh, uh, not incarceration, incarnation, incarnation of that verse. What a beautiful incarnation of that verse. The love of Christ urges us on. That's what they did. And they died martyrs. And thank, I mean, thank God they've been canonized because, my goodness, that, that kind of courage just really needs to be recognized. And that kind of missionary zeal. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, says the Lord. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all that I have taught you. And remember that I am with you always, yes, to the end of time. This is what they did. This is what they lived. And in some small way, you and I might be asked to make some small sacrifice for love of the Lord. When we think of those kind of sacrifices, you know, putting up with no Wi-Fi is nothing. Putting up with 
a little cold, no, don't get me wrong, we'll try to keep the house as warm as possible and keep you all comfortable and light the stoves and we build a new uh, wor- uh, wood shed so we can store more wood so we can light the fire more often. We'll try to take care of you. But little inconveniences that do come our way, like being on a list to wash the floor or something that might be uh, against our will. When we look at the lives of the saints and of the martyrs, they exemplify to us that, that the, the sacrifices we're called to make on the grand scheme of things are so small, are so small. And even though we may be in, in, in the middle of a, an arid period in our prayer life or a dark period, this will pass. That's not to, to as I say, to diminish at all the suffering that people are going through. But, but these things, they, they, they will not last forever. They don't last forever. The pain or the suffering, the, the grief, whatever it is, the illness that we're going through, they will not last forever. The glory of heaven does. So the, the more we can just focus our, our attention on, on the Lord and, and heaven with him, the more present we become to life here and the more aware we become of the needs of the others, the freer we become. So we ask today, through the prayers and intercession of St. Isaac, Jogues and Jean de Beboeuf, that we might gladly accept whatever little sacrifice comes our way on a day-to-day basis. Whatever small little inconvenience or uh, a person who's difficult, there's no one in this room who wants to eat your fingernails and pull out your hair and tear out your beard if you have one. There's no one here who, who wants to torture you. We're here with good people. We're blessed. We are so blessed. So any inconvenience, any difficulty, any personality difference, all those kind of things, in the grand scheme of things, they're small. Not only that, they're opportunities to grow in love. They're opportunities to grow in, in self-renunciation and say, Lord, you are my everything. So we ask the Lord today, through their prayers and intercession, that we might grow into being the missionaries that we are called to be. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all the commands I gave you. And know that I am with you always, yes, to the end of time.